This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everyone, welcome to the Survival Show podcast. I'm David, the founder of Ultimate Survival Tips and your host for today's show. In this podcast, it is our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any disaster, crisis, or adventure, or even life. And today, we have a special guest co-host, my dear friend, Mr. Ben Peterson. And you know when Ben comes on, who knows what we're going to talk about, but we think we're going to talk about life and business and surviving... uh, the nine to five and all of that sort of kind of stuff. So I think this is going to be helpful for everybody. What do you think, brother? David, thanks for having me. I, I love this stuff. You and I always, we do like a, a pre-show meeting for just a couple minutes and we're like, what are we going to And we come up with absolutely nothing except one or two words. <laughs> <laughs> but it works, man. I, I think you and I have a lot of similar life philosophies and so we just get talking and it's it's always fun. So thank you as always for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, so you got to do the thing. You know what the thing is, right? Oh, so know everybody knows who you are. What is <laughs> up guys? I'm Ben. Yeah. It's good to be here. Yeah. Ben, Ben Peterson. So uh for we get a lot of new folks watching from time to time and so why don't you give us a little backstory on where you came from and what you're up to these days and, uh, you know, why you're famous. Why that what is up guys thing is famous. I think it's famous. Dude. I don't know if it's famous. It's probably more infamous than famous. But uh, yeah, so my name is Ben. I started out my career at Blade HQ, an online knife retailer doing YouTube marketing for them. I ended up at CRKT, Columbia River Knife and Tool, up in Oregon, and that's where I, that's where I met David. Uh, I think David came up to me at a trade show, and he's like, I'm David from Ultimate Survival Tips, and I'm like, I'm Ben, and I have no idea who you are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we became really good friends, and uh, from there, I ended up going back to Blade HQ as their marketing manager, and... Uh, from there, I worked in corporate America for about three years until I took my business, NAFS, full-time, which my wife and I run. Uh, I've mostly spent my career doing e-commerce and online marketing and uh, a lot of pocket knives, tons of pocket knives. That's kind of what I have made my staked my claim in. So it's really fun. Yeah. So about how long ago did you start your business? So we started it five let's, years let's, ago. It's an interesting story of how yeah. to kind of like, and I guess maybe this is a good point, time to say, if you have something on your heart to do, Ben's got a really nice roadmap on how to do it without mortgaging your house, asking everybody you know for a loan, or doing something really ridiculous that you'll regret later. So here's, if you have a business idea, what you need to do is you go and buy a shovel 
and you you dig a hole in your yard and you bury it. And you, you <laughs> I'm teasing. Starting a business is very hard. Uh, so NAFs, I it started it. I started it with my wife in 2018, late 2018, as a side hustle, and it was uh, strictly a side hustle until last year, so 2022, and. Uh, we took it full time in May of last year, and we've grown to what are we at? Four full time employees, four part time employees. But yeah, businesses are crazy. Uh, entrepreneurship is hard if you want to do it. Uh, Did you share how you started up. with a poster? Yeah, I started with a, a knife poster. If you're watching, it's this poster right here. Basically a 24 by 36 inch knife poster. I had this crazy idea to put everything I knew about pocket knives into one place. And I spent like 100 hours in Adobe Illustrator designing this poster. Uh, that was our first product. I wasn't sure if it was going to be a brand or just a product. I decided it would be a brand and we launched it and it did really well. I think we made like 500 bucks <laughs> off the first run. But we learned a lot of good things and, and now we're up to... Uh, more than 200 different products on our website. Uh, obviously, wow. colors and variations and screws right. and everything. But yeah, it's it's been a crazy wild ride. Uh, and moon handles. Yeah. So I was a space camp kid. Um, space camp. Let me. Push Were up you? Yeah, man. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I wondered where all that came from. Yeah. So I went to space camp when I was like 11 or 12, and. Um, all my friends at home, I didn't tell a soul. I was like, space camp is for nerdy kids. And I went to space camp and <laughs> it was actually really, really cool. But I went home. I didn't tell anyone I was going. I didn't tell anyone when I got back uh, just because it was really nerdy in the early 2000s to go to uh, space camp. Uh, I think now a lot of kids would be like, yeah, I went to space camp. It was awesome. Dude, I totally wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid, but they did not have space camp back then. Yeah, I mean, I'm way I was, older than you. Yeah, you are. But even now, like, <laughs> I went to space camp and look at me. I'm just slinging pocket knives online, you know, <laughs> big dreams. No, but uh, yeah, we do a whole bunch of space stuff with, with NAFs. Just uh, there's a lot of Creative Commons imagery from NASA that's open source. And so it makes it really oh. easy to use in our marketing. And it's something that I get a real kick out of. I love, I love adventures and I feel like space is like the ultimate adventure like you probably could die on the way there you may never make it home but if you do like what a cool story to tell i don't know that i have that much risk tolerance but the idea of it is fantastic so right yeah. so i think that i think the thing that's most intriguing about your story is uh, and we won't get too deep in the weeds on it but you started with a poster and your objective you had goals as you went and you took whatever little profits you had from that poster and then you rolled them back into something else and then you would roll them back into something else right is that correct yeah yep and so at this point um so after the poster i designed a pocket knife with we and civivi um and that was a, a really good gig and frankly like being able to take my business full-time was in part because of that royalty situation with them um being able to sell the pocket knives and then like you said, just dump that back into it. It, it actually got to the point where uh, my wife and I could just live on the royalties um, and mm. not have to run a business. But my whole my whole thought process is like, I want to give people jobs. Like I want to create value. I don't want to just like bring it in and, and hold on to it. Um, 
I want to create value in the world and I feel like dumping those profits back into the business to be able to hire people and create processes and things is really good. Uh, but there are days when I'm like, dang, those royalties sure look, <laughs> that looks like an easy way to make money, you know? So it's, uh, but I, I, I think that, like you said, being able to dump it back in and, and create from there is, is a big part of what I'm trying to do. That's good. We need to talk about two things now. One, knife royalties. Should I actually be making my own line of knives or should I be making them for someone else? Or should I be doing both? And uh, mass distribution, both of which you're, you're knocking it out of the park, dude. You're, uh, Thanks. You're, you're doing really well. I'm tracking, tracking with you. And, and I don't know. Let's talk about it now. Can we talk about it now? Yeah. Or should we talk about what we're going to talk about? I was going to talk about your Kickstarter. Let's do it. Uh, let's let me. Since we've got the video medium for some of these folks, if you're watching, this is the Lander Two with a clutch lock on it in S35VN steel. Uh, it has fast swap scales, so you can you can swap them on the go. The scales are open source, so you can print your own, make your own, sell your own. I don't care. Uh, so we launched this on Kickstarter. It's really cool. Like, um, I was just talking to a friend about Kickstarter and this is our third Kickstarter. And every time you do one and you fulfill and you, you make people stay with it, it, it compounds, it rolls out, right? Like you're able to, on the next one, things become a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And, um, yeah, this one's It's like a social network. People don't realize you're, you're actually building a following. Correct. Correct. Yep. And it's it's funny you say that because I, I tell people, yeah, we launched it on Kickstarter. And they're like, well, is that like free money? Like, how does that work? And it's like, no, this is like a pre-order hype platform, right? Because mm -hmm. I use Kickstarter. Like, do I need Kickstarter at this point? Eh, probably not. It's nice to have that cash up front so that I can hold on to the, the other cash in the business on a business level. But really, it's it's like giving people the opportunity to be part of something on the ground level. And uh, that's the thing I love about it is it is a social network. There's comments and likes and all of that good stuff. But people are getting involved in the nuts and bolts of your business. And you, you have to tell them the story of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And it's a really, really fun platform. Nice. Well, you're doing amazing. And thanks. The reality, and this is the fun part, like some people just do Kickstarters to do Kickstarters. Like to me, it's this really cool opportunity to launch a product in a way that is really engaging and informative. And then when it comes out in October, people already know about it, right? Like you just, you've got 700 friends that now have your, your knife in their pocket and they're ready to start talking about it to a bigger audience. And it's, it's a snowball effect, which I think is yep. fun marketing. Yeah, no, it's really great. Our Thanks. first two major products we launched on Kickstarter and then I just got into this I don't want to say it was a rut, but I was like, oh, I can just create, man. So I just started creating all this stuff, kits and more knives and everything. And I skipped Kickstarter. And now I'm looking back and saying, I really need to get back to that. So we've got, dude, I've got like six new knives we're working on. Dang. With do you, you know, know who. I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what's funny, David, is uh, when... Let's see, three years ago, when I was working on the original Kickstarter for my little titanium ruler, I called you and I'm like, David, tell me everything you know about Kickstarter. And I think you gave me an hour of your time and, and basically taught me what you're doing. 
and or what you had done on Kickstarter, and it was a huge boost for what I was doing. And in reality, I think everybody who's going to try to do a Kickstarter ought to have some mentor, or somebody that they're talking mm, to, mm-hmm. to be able to just to understand it because it's it's almost like. If you spend any time on Reddit, there's a certain culture, there's a certain group of people that live there. And it's like if you mm-hmm. walk into their house and you don't speak the language correctly, they're going to be like, oh, thanks for stopping by. Now go away. Um, right. Same thing on Kickstarter. You have to be able to understand the platform and speak that language before you dive in and, and make a, a campaign. So I always tell people yep. to go and back like two or three campaigns, spend 200 bucks or whatever, just so that you can see what other creators are doing on the platform. Um yeah, there's there's definitely a culture within the Kickstarter community. And it's really helpful, too, if you have any inclinations towards any kind of product or creative project development. And Kickstarter, I highly recommend Kickstarter. Uh, but it's important to be on the back end of that, too, to actually be a backer and to see how that whole process works. Because I, I've i been on there recently, and you can do a lot more with Kickstarter Um are you going to still use BackerKit? No. Uh-uh. So You don't have to, no. Yeah. Well, I don't think you had to then either. So that was one thing David recommended to me when we when I did my first Kickstarter is use BackerKit for fulfillment. Well, what I realized is BackerKit's going to take a percentage. I think they take 5% to do fulfillment with them. And it's actually really easy Kick- if you're looking. And Kickstarter takes about 5%. Percent, five, six, yeah. Everybody takes a percentage, yeah. Everybody, yeah, everybody will eat into your margins. <laughs> but what I realized with BackerKit is you don't need it. So what I do instead, this will, I'm going to get into the technical weeds if you're not interested, tune out uh, if you're listening at home. but We'll, we'll be I, back. We'll be back on some practical life and business scaling <laughs> stuff here in, <laughs> in a minute. So what I do is I send out the surveys via Kickstarter. I take that survey. I download all of them in a bulk format, and then I just... Um, take it into Excel and format it to Shopify. And once I've show, formatted it to Shopify, I import those into Shopify and then I ship via Shopify, uh, yeah. which is our, our typical day-to-day system. So basically you're taking a Kickstarter system that's kind of a mess over here and exporting it into our everyday. And that makes it easier for us. Right. Back to well, the, regularly I, scheduled. <laughs> right. Well, one reason, yeah, one reason we used that too was you weren't able to do um, kind of like custom packages, but now you can do that in Kickstarter too. So, yeah, so that's good. That's great, Ben. Hey, congratulations again on the Kickstarter. Uh, if you want to, if you guys want to find it, we'll we'll give you another shout out, Ben, at the end. But it's the NAFS N A K N A F S Lander Two Pocket Knife. Uh, the NAFS Lander One is a smaller version. This is a, is a larger version. Um. Okay, what what does NAFS mean? <laughs> have I asked you that before? I don't think I've asked you. I don't know if you ever have. So NAFS is a colloquial way, kind of a southern way to say knives or knives. Uh, it was interesting because I was looking for a name for my company and the, the hashtag NAFS had been used on Instagram for years. And I was like, does anybody own nafs.com? Totally open URL, totally huh. open trademark. And so I bought the URL for $12. I paid for the trademark. And I was like, five letters in 2018 for $12? I'll take it. Uh, so I planted our flag there. And it, it's goofy because it, 
it's like a a goofy name. It's pretty memorable, and we own it, which is great. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. All right, dude. So, what do you want to talk about now? We were talking about scaling your business, scaling your life, keeping things in balance. I think yeah. that's important. Whether you have your own business, uh, whether you work for somebody else, whether you're a student. Go ahead. Yeah. So tell me, so, tell me since you're the uh, executive co-host, <laughs> take it away, Ben. I love it. So, David, you and I were talking about. Well, you you have been texting me probably the last three or four months on scaling a business. How does it work? How does it not work? Um, I'm because I've been to, terrible at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I feel like I've been terrible at it too because my philosophy as a business owner, and I think I do this in my life too. Uh, outside of business is I get to like 110, 115% of capacity. So I'm over capacity, right? And then I kind of have like, not an emotional breakdown, but like I can feel that my life is falling apart emotionally. Mm. So like Mm -hmm. I'm not exercising as much. I'm eating my feelings. I'm (laughs) doing all of these negative things that I shouldn't be doing. And that's when I realized, oh, I'm at 115% of capacity. I have to make a change. Now, I've done the same thing in my business, too. And it's, it's super unhealthy as a business owner because you're pushing yourself past what you actually have time to do. So, like, if I'm at 115% with my business, well, now I'm stealing from my family. I'm stealing from church. I'm stealing from service and these different things that are actually more important to me than my business. And right. so... Over the past like three months, I've been trying, and, and my wife is part of this too, um, Athena. She is the, the co-owner of NAFS. We've been trying to figure out how do we buy our time back? How do we stop spending 115% of our time and do things that we enjoy? Like we like to go hiking as a family. We like to go camping. We went camping for the first time in like two years this past weekend. And I was like, this is good. This is what we want to be doing. But we find ourselves working on our business. And I think what I want to talk about today is how do you get your life in check to where you're not allowing these things that are less important to take control of your life? And we talked about this a little bit in January. Uh, Since then, I've done a terrible job at it. Uh, and It's a recalibration process throughout. But I guess my question for you, David, to kind of start the conversation is how do you make sure that you are doing the most important things first and you're not letting the least important things take control of your time? You're not going to believe if we had an overhead camera right now, you're not going to believe that I was what I was just writing down. I was just writing down, do the most important thing first. Yeah. Right. Yep. It it's, it's actually just being aware of like what, what is the most important thing today? Like I've been telling Karen, I can do one thing a day. Like as far as business, I can do one thing good. And you know, there's, there's a multitude of things that come into your day. And so I've been trying to focus on like, what is that one thing that I need to get done today? Yes. I know there's going to be a multitude of, of other things that are going to come in. You know, my accountant's going to say, hey, I still need this. And, you know, we have a new organic farm. My son's going to say, hey, I need you to go drive a tractor for two hours <laughs> um, or whatever it is. But what's the most important thing? So I think the first thing is just acknowledging 
that there are things that are most important, more important than other things. Yeah. So you have to you have to sit down, and I think this just takes some self awareness and self evaluation. Yes. Like you you know it's like the the old adage is you know nobody on their deathbed wishes that they worked more. Yeah. So um, you know if you have a wife and kids, wife and kids are impor- are important. If you're if uh, you're a spiritual person, obviously your relationship with God is is super important because especially for me that's a the truth of the bible grounds me to uh the most important things of life and then my wife really grounds me to the important things uh in our shared lives so i I really kind of cue off of like the bible in particular I cue off of of my wife and I cue off of the relationships that I have and and then in the midst of of the work environment then um, I have something called the the five critical S's the last one is serve I've got to be able to serve my family uh, serve my church serve my employees and my customers well and I can't do that if I'm over-torqued, you know, 115, 120%. Then, you know, you can't, you can't squeeze more than 24 hours out of yourself. And honestly, you can't squeeze more than, you know, 12 hours out of a workday, even just occasionally, because then you're just completely out of balance. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so one thing that I've, I've been thinking a lot about is there is no balance there's just imbalance managed. So like, ah. it's this idea <laughs> that like, like if I'm at work, inherently I'm neglecting my kids, right? Like not neglecting, but I'm taking care of them in a way that I am not going to sit down and play checkers with you at, at one in the afternoon because I am working, mm-hmm. right? It, in a perfect world, I would play eight hours of checkers with my daughter and I would do eight hours of work, right? Like that is balance. Mm-hmm. But that's fake news. Like, you can't do that, right? Like, you can't have eight hours of checkers to match your eight hours of work, right? But when my daughter comes to me in the morning at 8 a.m., all of these eights, uh, 8 a.m., and she says, Dad, I want to play checkers. And I'm like, well, I was about to go to work, but I can play checkers for 10, 15 minutes before I go to work at 8.30. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So instead of answering emails on my phone, I put my phone away and I play checkers this morning. And that, to me, is like... Is that actual balance? No, because balance would be an equitable time for my daughter and for work. But being able to say, right now, I am playing checkers with my daughter. I am not working. That's really important. So I've thought a lot about that because as as a business owner with a young family, like I just get rocked, man. Like it's, It is really, really hard, especially working at home. Uh, there are times when my daughter, my youngest will come out and she'll be like, dad it's time to play and it's like well i'm actually in a business meeting with these employees that work in my garage and (laughs) (laughs) and i need you to go inside right but i i think that's if you think you can do it all and you can do it all at once the reality Mm -hmm. is you're probably going to get overstretched and and you're going to neglect something and so i've just tried to if i'm 
if I'm with my family, I try to be with my family and I'm not perfect at it. Uh, if I'm at work, I try to be at work. Um, yep. There's a, there's that's hard. A, that's hard though. Cause you're yeah. not at work. You're at home. Yeah. It's the it's, same way here. I mean, I'm in the gear cave right now, but this is in my basement and I'm looking yep. at our warehouse and my office is upstairs in the house and it's, it, it's different. It's, it's, it's not, I, a lot of people do it. I would say it's not a healthy long-term solution, at least for me personally, because I trend toward workaholic and if I'm in the space with my work, I tend to work. Let me what, throw, let me throw in one yeah. thing I was, I was going to say just, uh, we are past the kids stage We're our children are adult children and we have six grandkids, believe it or not. Awesome. Um, but we like Karen, especially she does this thing where at least one grandkid a week comes over and has a Nana day. Well, since I slightly broke my leg really bad, I've been, my office is actually in the living room and, um, She'll go, hey, grandchild X is coming over. And I'll be like, oh. And she's like, what's that for? And I'm like, they're more important than my work. And this one's going to ask me to read her a story. And that one's going to say, Poppy, that's my grandfather's name. Poppy, can we carve? I've been teaching one of them to carve, so we're progressing through knives, right? And and the other one's going to want to play checkers, speaking of checkers. And so um, the, my whole point here is this balance thing, I think you're onto something. We think that, like, there's this, this you know, perfect soaring in flight that we're going to reach like it's just going to be total equilibrium and you know what i've been trying to do when the grandkids are here is that exact same thing like we can do this for 15 or 20 minutes and it ends up just taking my whole morning right but is that the most important thing that's the most important thing what that ends up doing is it ends up backing up my schedule it ends up causing me to roll things over into the next day or the next three days or whatever. But, um, you know, I think it's, I, I think you just have to uh, hone in on what the most important thing is. And and, and the most important thing, and, like right now, right? Like right now, if you, right. If you spend all day with your grandkids and you never work, well, now when your grandkids come over, like you don't have snacks for them because you can't afford the snacks, right? Like that's the, <laughs> right, 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 like, right, right. Like they often the, hear Poppy has to, Poppy has to be responsible right now and do yeah. his job, you know, the, the, but, but they I, do. I think sometimes as, as humans, we beat ourselves up because we're like, this is not totally balanced. And, and I think that's the difference, right? Like if, if you are never stopping to play with your grandkids or never stopping to play with your kids, that's where you're missing out on that opportunity to get to know them and be part of their lives. But at the same time, there has to be a, a balance within all of that. And it, it's hard, man. I, I struggle to do yeah. it. It's, uh, there's there some just... research where, where, um, it's, it was seven minutes. That's what it was. So 
taking seven minute breaks and again this was some sort of research i don't remember where it came from but it was another podcast i had listened to and this person was self-employed and doing very successful and so they would take seven minute breaks because they had a young family like you and they would do something for seven minutes and that was seven to ten minutes and that was a significant amount enough time for their wife for their kids for visitors to feel like they care and then they were able to go ahead and and you know if they did that maybe twice a day then um yeah i thought that was that was brilliant actually yeah but i i actually like playing chess more than i like working so sometimes seven minutes ends up being like you know three or four games of chess right i love it i love it uh but yeah so so stephen covey in one of his books he's a he's your your uh Seven Habits of Highly Effective People guy. He, he talks about uh, rocks. And the idea is that the rocks are the things that are most important, right? Like if you have a mason jar and you're, you've got five rocks and you've got sand and you've got water and you've got all these things that have to go in the jar. Well, if you put the rocks in first and then you put the sand in, the sand will work itself around the rocks. So we, we've actually adopted, within our business, we've adopted a... Um, uh, what would I call it? A business system called Traction. It's an uh, entrepreneurial operating system, and it talks about these rocks. And it's been really interesting. This is the first quarter we've done it. And at the beginning of the quarter, you sit down and you create your rocks. It's basically like five to seven things that as a team you're going to accomplish this quarter, and you review it as a team every single week. And uh, it's been really, really good. We, we actually have hit like six out of seven of the rocks that we set for the quarter. One of them we're not gonna be able to finish uh, just out of logistical things that, that happen with it. But it's been really cool. And I, I think I'm trying to better do that in my personal life too, because if I can put my kids first, if I can put my the, these other things that are important to me first, the other things will kind of slide into place or they fall off. And, and at, the, at the end of the day, if it falls off long enough, it, it truly wasn't that important to you. Um, I make these to-do lists, not every day, but I, I make a running to-do list. And there are times when I rewrite the list and some things I just like, yoink, <laughs> like they're gone. Like they're never going to get done. And uh, mm-hmm. I've clearly deprioritized them out of my life. And I think that's okay too. So this traction system that you're talking about, this is, this is new to me. You mentioned it right before the podcast. So it sounds like something you could actually utilize in your everyday life too, right? Yeah, so it's can you it's can def- you deep, dig just a little bit deeper? Yeah, it's definitely that? definitely geared toward business, but I, I think business and life are similar. So like, traction makes you sit down and say, what are your core values as a company? Um, I think if you do that as an individual too, that's going to be huge, right? Like if so, it's going like to help you of, figure out what the most important thing is, right? Correct, correct, and then you're you're setting up within the system, you're setting up a a three-year picture, um, a five-year goal, and then a 10-year, I forget the exact language, but you're basically setting three, five, and 10. And then on a yearly level, you're setting that up too. And then quarterly, you're looking at it and saying, what are the most important things to get to this three-year, five-year, 10-year goal? And it's pretty dang cool. I, I had associated with like two or three businesses that had used it previously. And I was like, ah, this stuff is for, for losers that don't need to, that don't have any vision. 
And then as I've run my own business, I'm like, oh no, this is, this is for people who have let their business overtake their life. And that's exactly what I've done. I've, I've put so much into it that I'm like, I must be pushing. I must be pushing. But I, I think that's, that's how things happen is like they creep up on you, right? Like as soon as you start saying yes to one thing, um, it's easier to say yes to others. And sometimes you have to build a fence around your time and say like, no, this is my time. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing it. And you, you have to say no to a lot more things. And I think for me as a business owner, somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, let's do a collaboration. David, you, you have been the king of this and I have been the king of saying no, not because I don't you like have you. Said no, you have said no a lot of times. And I have. Yeah, and, and I respect that. Yeah, and, and that's not because I don't like you, but because <laughs> it everything I say yes to is is saying no to potentially other things that are more right. important. Um, so let's look at the let's look at the pie. So you've got the whole pie, or you've got a hundred percent of your time taken up, and somebody from church says, "Hey, can you do this?" Or somebody from your community says, "Hey, can I? Can you do that?" How do you fit that in when you're already f- filled up? You got to take something out, right? You I do. I mean, if something takes five percent, then you've got to you've got to say to say yes to something new you've got to say no to something that's on your plate right hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line oh absolutely and so we, we talked about this last time there's this book called essentialism and he actually walks you through how to say no to things in a very tactful way so if it's your boss and your boss says to you hey i need this done by thursday at 3 p.m and it's wednesday at 5 30 right uh you can say to your boss, you say, look, I can do that for you. I'd be happy to do that for you. What other things on my list of things to do that I am currently working on do you want to deprioritize? And you make the boss decide that. You basically say, look, that gives me six hours to finish it. I have six hours of other work. What would you like me to deprioritize? And that's basically shoving it back on the boss and saying, okay, cool. I'm happy to do that, but you've given me other things as well. What's less important? And I think that you have to do the same thing in your in your own life. In fact, my wife and I, we said yes to a a church camping trip where we're kind of like camp, camp counselors. We probably should have said no to it. Um, just phase of life, small kids, all the things. Uh, if I could go back to that moment where they asked us to do it, I would say, you know, we really want to do this. Um, right now in this phase of life, we have four kids. Uh, we're already going on a different church camping trip. And so while we'd love to do this right now, we just do not have the time. And, and unfortunately we have to say no. And it's, I, I think as humans, it's uncomfortable to say no. Cause we're, we're pe- like, I'm a people pleaser. Like I'm like, yeah, I'd love to do that. But I think a lot of times we say yes to our own detriment and, and knowing when to when to say no is really really important. Yeah, definitely. 
uh, that's 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 absolutely key. This whole essentialism thing, from even from talking on our last podcast, we have a Friday morning. We call it the Breakfast Boys with a Z at the end, and uh, a bunch of us get together and we just encourage each other and pray for each other and all that sort of kind of stuff. And there's a couple guys that are, that are younger, and man, they were just saying yes to everything, and I just. I just saw them like the life being sucked out of them. So, you know, through a few conversations, you know, one of he this this one one fella Russell is very sweet. Um, he uh, he came last Friday and he's like, "Oh, you guys are going to be proud of me." I said, "No," <laughs> and you know, you just you you gotta you gotta do it. You only have so much time, and you have to know what the most important things are. So, do you do you remember it, yeah. do you remember Joel Bornson at uh, CRKT? Do you remember Joel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Joel was my manager at CRKT when I worked at uh, the knife company up there, and uh, Joel a couple of times I I would get too much going on, and he would say, um, "Are you crying, Uncle?" And I'm like, "Yes, I'm crying, Uncle," <laughs> and. Uh, and he's, I don't remember what he said next, but I, I've sort of adopted this philosophy that it is okay to cry uncle, especially in business. Um, at work, if you're overloaded and you're doing your very best and the, the expectations are, are too high or the workload is too much, one thing we've adopted at NAFS with our employees is I tell them it's okay to cry uncle because you're basically coming back to me as the boss and saying, I have too much to do. I can't deal with this. So I always think about that with, I had some older cousins that would like pin us down and tickle us, you know, it would be like, they'd be like, you got to cry uncle, cry uncle. I'm not going to stop till you cry uncle. And you say uncle and they stop tickling you. Well, I think sometimes life does that to us where like life has pinned us down with all these tasks and we just need to cry uncle and be like, Mm -hmm. I, I can't, I can't do this much and still be okay mentally. And I, I think our human nature doesn't want to cry uncle. Like you can do that with kids. Like I'll do that with my kids sometimes. Like you got to cry uncle. And like, they'll sit there and get tortured by tickling for like five <laughs> minutes before they cry uncle. And I think that's just baked into our human nature of like, man, like we want to just do really good work and we really want to perform. Uh, most, most people, some know, right. But, I think it's okay in life to cry uncle and then reprioritize. So mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah. Um, something I was just thinking about is time stealers. Hmm. So let's just say everybody's busy. I, I, I rarely see anybody, even kids these days that, that say, Hey, I'm just, I'm bored. It just doesn't happen. You know, we've got these devices and we can we can just flip eight miles a day, you know, six inches at a time. And uh, so I think this gets back to, like, do the most important thing. And I, w- I just encourage people and I encourage myself. I actually have to speak to myself to watch these time stealers because... I can so easily 
think I've worked really hard today. I've probably put in, you know, 12 hours today and I was on the tractor for, you know, five hours after that. And I deserve now I'm going to eat a really late dinner because it's really late and I'm just going to, you know, watch the Arnold Schwarzenegger biography on Netflix, right? <laughs> Brilliant, by the way. They launched his, <laughs> they launched his, uh, his show at the same time they put his you know, biography on. Anyway, all that to say, I think it's really important when you're thinking about what the most important things are is to identify those things that steal our time or steal your time. Yeah. I, I think one thing, too, that's... I know you don't have any vices. No, I, I have vices, David. In fact, my wife the other day, she was like, you love suggested videos from Instagram and YouTube. And I do. I, I am. I just wrote okay. this down. Eight, eight miles a day, six inches at a time. Because I like... You get me on Instagram Reels and I'm I'm gone. Because they know I will watch the ski videos. They know I will watch the, the mountain bike crashes. Like... They know that about me, and they keep feeding it to me, and I, I think they're evil for it, but mm, here we are mm. all doing it. Um, but I've I thought a lot about, like, I think sometimes when you put in a really hard day, decompressing is actually good. My wife and I call it vegging, uh, like vegetables, right, vegging. Um, and I think it's good, but I think sometimes you need a time limit on it to shut it down. Uh, but sometimes like your brain just needs like fluff. I, I watched this, it was an hour and 11 minute documentary on jungle training in the army the other night on, on Business Insider. Totally fascinating. I got so sucked in because it was documentary filmmaking and I love documentaries and I've always been curious about the military and how the training is and that sort of thing. And hour and 11 minutes later, it's like 11 o'clock and I'm like, wow, this is great. And my wife's like, come to bed maybe, you know, (laughs) (laughs) right, right. It's like, um, but I do think that allowing your, allowing your brain to not be doing all the time is important. I I have a tendency to be doing all the time. And I think that's there. It's okay to be a turtle sometimes instead of a rabbit. And it's Mm -hmm. something that I'm, I'm trying to learn better. Uh, in the mornings, I have a tendency to get on my phone immediately because it's like, I work with suppliers overseas, and if you can catch them first thing in the morning, sometimes you can keep the cycle moving faster. If you're up late, like or yeah, first thing in the morning. Yep. But uh, I, I think I'm I'm trying to be more deliberate, especially with my phone, because my phone is work, my phone is vegging. Um, so in the mornings, I'm trying not to get on my phone first thing, and it actually I'm finding that I have a lot more time. Uh, our phones are the most beautiful, worst thing in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, yeah, eight miles a day, six inches at a time. And I think that we need to be doing maybe more time with the people that are immediately around us than the the people that are in the phone, you know? Right, right. I know it's easy, like, even for my wife and I, she'll be vegging and I'll be vegging, but we won't be vegging together. Whereas, like, sometimes we just need to stop, you know, and it's my responsibility as a man, I, I believe, I mean, she can do it too, and she pursues me, but I need to pursue her and say, hey, how's your day? You know, how's it going? What are you reading? How was your visit to, you know, so-and-so's house? And even if we don't 
talk. Sometimes it's nice just to sit, you know, yep. just sit. Yeah. Sit, so, sit and read together or whatever, you know, I right. think, yep. I, I think our, our world is moving really, really fast. And I, I think we've all been sucked into this social experiment with our phones and these algorithms and things. And mm -hmm. I, I think that we haven't made a deliberate decision as a society that we want this to be part of our lives. Like, I think it's like, I think about when I signed up for Facebook for the first time in college, right? And it was like, cool, I can connect with all these friends from all over the place. And, and it felt like such a, a cool place, fun place to spend my time. Now here I am 15 years later, and I'm like, why am I still giving this platform my time? Um, and I, I make business excuses for it, right? Like that's kind of the town square at this point. And I think mm -hmm. there's uses there's uses for all of it, but I, I do think that we have to be careful with it because our, our phones are so easy. It's so easy. So. Yeah, so what do you think of AI? <laughs> oh man, David. I went down a rabbit hole. I hope everyone goes down a rabbit hole. Um, I, I think, I think it's it's newsworthy. It's buzzworthy. I saw a, a headline the other day that AI has the potential to um, put our existence at risk. I don't know that it's that extreme. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I tried to have it design a pocket knife for me, and it it failed pretty good. Um, but I, I do think that a lot of the, the tasks that we've spent a lot of time on in, in business and our lives could potentially be outsourced to AI. Um, I think about like AI's potential to crunch data for mm -hmm. my business and kind of glean insights from it. I think it could be really good for that. I don't think it's going to take over the world. I could be wrong. Um, but I I don't know. It's, it's interesting to jump into ChatGPT or BARD and just start asking questions and see what it kicks out. I asked the other day, what's, what should, um, what did I, what did I type in? I asked, what is the best pocket knife, uh, into, into Bard? And it kicked out an answer. And I was like, how did you get your data? And it kicked out an answer. And I'm curious about it on an e-commerce level, because I think it has potential to silo things into these bestsellers. And if you're a future bestseller, it's going to be harder to break into that stuff because it's just pulling a whole bunch of groupthink together and delivering it to you. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with that. Uh, I, I almost, David, I almost think that as humans, we're going to maybe lean into AI and then we're going to break out of it and be like, nah, I just want to experience the world in a way that Maybe so like one of the examples when Google rolled out Bard the other day, they asked, should I go to, to Bryce Canyon or Arches National Park with a dog and two kids? And it basically like pulled a trip itinerary together for this this question and said, well, if you go to Bryce, it allows it allows dogs and there's camping here and there's it it's good hikes for kids. And it basically like planned this trip to Bryce Canyon National Park. So I'm out in Utah, so I kind of know the two parks and I know which one you may want to do or may not. But it's almost like asking a friend. But the reality is, if you were to ask me that, I'd be like, dude, go to Goblin Valley. Like there's like you have the whole place to yourself. There's fewer people, fewer crowds. And you're in a beautiful part of the state. And I think that's what people will, I think we'll use AI for some things, but 
I think that for me, it's actually pulling me a little bit closer to the humans around me where I'm like, hey, mm. where should I where should I go hiking? Instead of like punching it into the Google machine and having the Google machine roll my life, I actually find myself asking other people like, yeah, what, what are good hiking trails in this area or whatever? I think I'm curious to see if it drives people to, toward people or if it isolates us further. What good do you answer. think? Yeah, where do you think it's headed, David? You know, I think I think if it gets out of the box, it can be a big problem. But we've had machine learning for a long time. We've had, I mean, algorithms are probably a much, much, much more simple version of this. Um, but you know, the algorithms have been working for a long time. Now it's just coming together, and it's it's the speed of everything and the amount of information that it can process and gather. I mean, right now AI is doing what we're programming it to do. Um, could it program itself in the future? Could it see that humans are, you know, a waste and annihilate us somehow? <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe. you know, who, who knows, who knows? But, but, but uh, I heard a... Like I heard a really oh, good. good podcast. Oh, yeah, I heard a really good podcast on this where the host was talking about that we shouldn't be afraid of AI. We should acknowledge that there are going to be certain, probably a lot of the jobs that are very high-paying jobs that that uh, you know, even like software development and marketing and things like that. There's, well, let me tell you this. We're probably using five AI platforms right now in our business. I've got one that pre-edits our podcasts, takes out the ums. We're going to use it on this podcast, and it's going to take out the spaces. It's going to, there's actually the platform we're using to record this podcast. It's, it's going to do the transcription uh, through AI, and we're going to go be able to go in and select words and and phrases and sections out of it, and it'll just it'll edit the video, it'll edit the podcast. Um, so, I think from a business perspective, personally, I think you're going to be at a significant disadvantage if you don't embrace the technology because your competition is going to. Now, there's whenever we have these things emerge, there's good parts and bad parts, right? So one thing I've noticed, and I noticed this actually six months ago when AI was just kind of emerging, and if you go on Amazon right now, you're going to find there may be 20 or 30 books with this title, The Prepper's Survival Bible, 16 books in one, right? So when I was doing research for my book, I was like, I, I literally went out and I bought the the books that were that had the highest ratings had a certain acceleration had been on the market so for so long and I bought all these books so I bought a couple of these books there were various different names but the prepper survival bible is one so I got a couple of these books and I'm like this is this is patched together AI that was the only and that was almost that was before Bard. It was really before Chat, you know, GPT came out in full force. But somebody somewhere 
has been, and you're, you'll see these everywhere. So what I did is I did a deep dive on this. Uh, and, and what I'm actually saying is I think that potentially literature, uh, authenticity and authorship is something we haven't considered. But I, I think I think there's a danger there. And even in, in the, some important aspects of our culture and what's being written about, because there's probably, I don't even know, there, there may be a thousand books now on Amazon that are print-on-demand books, and so they're being generated somewhere where they're utilizing AI to, to write them. And, and then on the back end, I don't know how they're doing it. You actually used to work in Amazon. But when you go to the reviews, they have 4.9 to 5-star reviews, and they've got 200 reviews, like... 10 days after the book's out or five days after the book's out. So somehow somebody's hacked Amazon's algorithm to be able to somehow get what Amazon views as legit legit reviews to these AI-created books. And if you do a deeper dive into the, the uh, authors of those reviews, what you're going to see is this continuum of like... <clears throat> Most of them are reviewing three to seven books a day. And it's stuff like the Harvard preparatory exam for, you know, neurosurgeons, right? Like, nobody, nobody reads enough of that in a day to know whether it's a good book or not. And you're like, you know, the, uh, the idiot's guide to, you know, acing your, your college exams or whatever it is. But they're in... They're in all genres, especially self-help and uh, DIY stuff. And so that's one thing I've seen. I think there are certain dangers when they're abused um, as, far as, as far as with regards to business and with regards to some interesting applications, you know, innocent applications like, we, you know, hey, I'm going on a trip, plan my trip for me. And yeah. getting input, I almost look at that as like, talking to somebody who is a really smart person and they they read a lot and they, they know a lot of things and you just say, hey, just as kind of a random thing, if you were going to go to you know, Utah and you had five days, what would you do? I think it's, I, I look at those types of applications of AI as like, hey, this is another opinion. This is another voice. And... Um, I find it great for that, but the specific applications for AI, some of them with regards to running a business and regards to gathering data are, are fascinating, and I think you have to be open to utilizing those. Otherwise, you know, your competition is potentially going to not necessarily run over you, but they're going to have a strategic advantage. And you're just going to see AI, or, you know, we have to define AI too, but you know, very advanced machine learning applications coming up in almost every app, every business app, you know, a lot of personal apps anyway. It's just going to be, it's going to be integrated into it. So uh, I think there's, just like anything, like you were saying with Facebook, like there's, there's rabbit holes and there's, there's, um, 
particular dangers. There may be some societal dangers. There's going to be societal dangers that we can't even identify. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's where we're at with, with uh, social media. There's particular yeah. dangers and there's psychological issues people are having now that so, I, just, I guess my, just were unheard of. Yeah. My question for you, David, is from a prepper perspective, when AI takes over, are we digging our bunker like 20 feet down or 30? <laughs> like, can you give me some insight on that? So here's what we need to do. We, we, at that particular point, we need to take the grid down. We don't need to wait to, until it is taken down. <laughs> because um, AI lives on electrons, and we need to starve them yeah. of elect electrons. That's basically, that's my answer to that. No, it's, it's a funny thing. And I, I'm an optimist. You know, I, I, my degree is in broadcast journalism, right? And we would, we would spend days writing headlines and teasers and things, you know, and and you're doing it because eyeballs are currency, right? And I think sometimes yep. when it comes to AI, I think sometimes that currency is off. Um, where if BuzzFeed or New York Times or wherever, Fox News can have a splashy AI headline that makes mm -hmm. us all want to dig bunkers in our backyard, like, cool, that's eyeballs, that's advertising money, right? So I'm an optimist. I, I think that... AI will change our world a little bit. I think it will enhance our world. I'm sure there are downsides too. But uh, man, I, I can hardly get Siri to put something in my calendar, right? So uh, I, I don't stress too much about AI taking over the world, but maybe I should. Let me know, yeah. 20 feet or 30 feet down. <laughs> uh, deeper the better, man. Unless you're, already, <laughs> unless you're already in bedrock like we are here. We can't go very deep. No, At that I, point, I look, just look for, look for a cave. You've got a lot of caves in Utah, right? Uh, there's a few, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just gonna head out and let them take me. Just just here I am. I'm a pacifist. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So where do you want to go? We got a couple of minutes left. Where do you want to go from here? Do you want to talk about some survival stuff? Do you want to talk about knives? Did we wrap up the business stuff? What else did? Okay. Do you here Here's my question yeah. for you, David. You've labeled for this me. survival. Yeah, survival show summer 23. What has been your favorite summer vacation of your entire life? Totally off topic. Feels right for what the what the topic is here. Where does your family go? What do you do? What does it look like? What does it smell like? Tell me now. Oh, man. You just you nailed me. Did did Karen tell you to ask that? No, I'm really bad no. at I'm bad at summer vacations, really? really bad. Yeah, we we actually maybe I'm not bad, but okay. So here's the deal: we live where a lot of people come to vacation. Hmm. So I I kind of look at where we live as kind of a vacation spot because it is. People come here to hunt. They come here to ski. They come here to do water sports, they come here to enjoy the mountains, uh, they come here to enjoy small town USA. So uh, we, as far as like a big like event vacation, we usually do those around our anniversary, which is in March. Where do and you we live in a cold, What's We live in a cold climate. Um, so probably, a couple of places that we've been 
Asheville, North Carolina. So again, that's that's a really good place for outdoor folks. And and uh, we used my wife and I back in the day. We used to work work at a wilderness camp for disturbed boys. So we have been back there some a few times, and it's in southwestern Pennsylvania in what, an area that's called the Laurel Mountains, about an hour and a half outside of Pittsburgh. And in that town, uh, the town there is Ohio Pile, and there's some really great whitewater white rafting there, and there's uh, Falling Water, Frank Lloyd Wright's house. There's a couple mm-hmm. of Frank Lloyd Wright houses in the area. And, uh, you know, biking, hiking, all that sort of stuff. The camp is still there on 2,000 acres, but it's like an archaeological find right now. So um, that's been a place that uh, we can, it's, it's not a staycation, but it's close enough that, you know, it takes us a couple hours to get there. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a good time. So Karen's actually pretty easy. Like, she's happy going on a hike once a week. Um, a lot of guys don't know, but I significantly broke my fibula bone in April in a motorcycle accident. So Ben, before this podcast, he saw my peg leg um, iWalk Pro 3.0 that I've been hobbling around on. I've still got probably six to eight weeks left until I'm completely mobile to some point. But my wife just, she loves everything I love. She loves to go hiking. She loves to go camping. She loves to do water sports. So I'm kind of at a point where I I figured out that I'm pretty sure I can get in and out of a kayak. And I'm pretty sure I if I capsize, I'm probably not going to die. So I think we're going to try kayaking. We've nice. got some great lakes. Some great lakes around here and a couple of rivers. So we'll probably go with the lakes. I love yeah. it. I, I, I think the reason I asked, David, for me at least... There's there's an emotional survival in the summer of like, like like in Europe they take like two months off for holiday. Oh, I know, I know. And I'm like, okay, if they're taking two months off and disconnecting, I can take a week off and disconnect, and that to me is like emotional mental survival mm. because we have a tendency to work a lot, you know, and so taking right. that time and and putting in my out of office email and just unplugging is really an important emotional survival tool yeah that's good well what about you what about you and your family so you've got littles you've got you've got small kids so that that kind of dictates a lot a little bit we we've tried to just go with it so um my wife's family they they go up to montana every year it's kind of multi-generational tradition at this point well, and, you're in uh, big sky country, so you can go like 100 miles in any direction and end up somewhere really awesome. Yeah, so we go up in like the northeast corner of, of Yellowstone right by the Wyoming-Montana border. It's a, a little town called Cook City, and uh, we go up there. There's no internet. There's just a landline and uh, no cell service. In fact, the the people that live there full time they they took a vote to put a cell tower in or no cell tower they voted against the cell tower (laughs) (laughs) which is yeah pretty cool yeah i mean it's it's like again small town america um 
and they, they're snowed in like eight months of the year, you know, um, so they ride around on snowmobiles. But we go up in the summer, and it's just a really great place to go swimming with the kids, canoeing and hiking and backpacking and four-wheeling, and we, we take all the all the guns up and target shoot, and it's uh, we live in suburbia, and so it's really nice to kind of get out and just set the kids free, you know. Uh, I love it. It's really fun. So, I don't know. I, I feel like that's that's a part of uh, summer should have a trip in it if you can do it. And it doesn't have to be crazy. Like we we uh, we enjoy camping as well, and you can get into camping for actually pretty a couple hundred bucks. It doesn't have to be crazy, right? Um, right. And uh, it, at least in Utah, there's a lot of public land that we can go camping on and stuff. And so I I just think that. People ought to take time off and disconnect. So that's what we do. Yep. Yeah, that's good. All right, give me three survival tips then. Oh, man. <laughs> You're not the survival guy, but uh, you are a survival guy. You love well, the outdoors. I do, yeah. I mean... What are your... Like, let me ask you this. What do you... You're a businessman. You, you live in suburbia. What... What do you do for your family's personal preparedness? I think that's a good question. I think that's yeah, interesting. I love it. Um, so I, I would actually call us slight preppers. We have uh, a year's worth of food in our house. Uh, in term, like we have a we have a basement. I, I, I think if you're a true prepper, you don't tell people that you have this. But we we uh, have a, a year's worth of supply of food. We have wheat. We have a wheat grinder. We have 72-hour kits. In fact, we need to be better about cycling the, the food through because when you've got, like, four things of Mrs. Butterworth's syrup, like, you, you just don't burn through syrup that fast, you right. know, things like yeah. that. But uh, we, we actually keep a lot of the things that we regularly eat on hand uh, in our basement. It almost looks like a little, little convenience store that you'd encounter in, like, Central America down there. <laughs> But uh, I think that's an. So you cycle part. through, you cycle we, through things then. We do good, yeah. Except for Mrs. A, Butterworth's syrup, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we also we've got how many gallons of water? Probably two hundred and fifty gallons of water stored in the basement. Um, I used to cycle fuel. I used to keep unleaded on hand and cycle through it and. I kind of stopped doing that because the gas would go bad and then I'd have to find a place to get rid of it and stuff. But I just think, look, as a provider for my family, if if there were a problem and I'm not even talking like like I'm not like a things went totally south anarchy sort of person. And it could. I recognize that. But I also think what are the more practical things that like if I were to lose my job or my, our business did poorly or whatever, what are we going to eat? You know, even during the pandemic, you know, like we, we keep toilet paper in our in our food storage. Right. Like it's just a simple thing that like if there was another run on toilet paper, like during the pandemic, shoot, we're we're going to be OK for a little bit, you know. So I to mm -hmm. me, it's I'm not like a hardcore prepper that. uh I don't store a ton of ammo or anything like that. Like, that's not my category. I'm more like if my kids are hungry or my neighbors are hungry, like what are we going to do about it? And I, that's kind of how we've planned it around things that we eat regularly, except for the wheat. 
and a whole bunch of wheat. And I think if we had to live on an all wheat diet, we would we would not be doing well. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of how I give me a yeah. prepper score, David. How did I do? That's good. I mean, a year's worth of uh, of food. That's that's man. You're 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 in the like ninety percentile right there. I mean, yeah, yeah. Ding 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 ding. Ding ding ding. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's I think you touched on something really important. Like, I think we have to take responsibility for ourselves and our families uh, with food. You don't need to be super fancy. Most pantries can store quite a bit of food and you probably can find some other places, but basically just cycle through it. You know, every time you go to the grocery store, get yourself a couple of extra of the things that you actually eat. That's one of the biggest thing that, things that preppers face and we face because we have multiple tiers. You know, you've got the freeze-dried goods and the, the dried goods and the, the canned goods and, and some MREs and all that. You know, a lot of that goes bad over a certain period of time if you're just storing it. Like even MREs, I mean, five-year shelf life, bam, you know, they're, they're really good for nothing. And they're hard to get rid of, right? <laughs> and yeah, because no, so nobody's going to eat them. <laughs> and the animals don't like them either. So, you know, that tells you something. Um, so, but I think it's really responsible. Again, back to our breakfast boy, boys Friday morning group. I was... We were talking about this one day and kind of came to the conclusion that like being prepared for having a preparedness buffer, you know, financially, mentally, uh, tools and gear, even some alternative electricity, maybe a generator, food and water, you know, shelter preps. How do you how are you going to keep warm? And big thing that people miss is hygiene. You really got to be thinking about hygiene because if the water goes down, your electric goes down, like you start getting sick fast and now you're into first aid and and medical issues that you don't want to have to deal with. So, but I think it's really important and people should be thinking about how do I get to a point where I've got, I would be able to live reasonably comfortable and keep everybody fed and healthy and watered for up to three months. I think that's that's a reasonable goal to shoot at. And how do you do that? You start with three days, three weeks, three months, right? Yeah, just totally. Just uh, stack it up, stack it up. You know, just start yeah. where you're at and get it done. So Ben, this is good. It's good I stuff. It. Little little uh, Ben and David rambling. Uh, you always bring some wisdom to the table. Uh, I learned a few things. Uh, this traction. Is that a book? Why don't you give me a couple of books that you're into that you think people ought to check out? Yeah, it's it's a book. Um, really good if you're in a small business. Uh, I'd recommend that one. I'm reading Essentialism, or I, I've read Essentialism in the past. Super good for just managing your time, what you're doing. And then I, I'm going to throw a curveball in there. Um, I'm reading a book called Just Mercy right now. It's about the mm. prison system in the U.S. Okay. And uh, it's challenging. It's a challenging book. Um, I, I don't know that I totally relate with everything in it, but I, I think my third book that I'd recommend to read is something that challenges what you, the way that you see the world. Um, and this, this book in particular talks a lot about capital punishment. And mm. I think I've always kind of been like, not to get super political, but I'm like, yeah, if you 
if you're a hardcore criminal, like capital punishment makes sense. Well, this guy like dives into 25, 30 years of like doing uh, working capital punishment cases and people that were not guilty and things like that. And it's it's been challenging something I believe uh, or I, hmm. I previously believed. So I think I would recommend the book itself. But I think more importantly, I would recommend read books that don't align with what you usually think uh, yeah. because it will yeah. expand your horizons. So. Right. Yeah, we don't want to get into like confirmation bias where all we're listening to or reading is, you know, what we want to believe, right? Um, yep. Yeah, man, I, I, I'm going to put traction on my on my Audible list, but I have to be honest with you, I'm almost out of credits. I was, I was sporting tons of credits for a while, <laughs> and my granddaughter got me into the Green Ember series. Huh, have you good. heard of that? No. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Wow. <laughs> The green wow. your kids will love it. Um, anyway, I'm so I've I've burned three credits in like the last two weeks on on the green ember. Um, hey, look! W- don't don't listen to traction. It's it's like a workbook. Like it's oh, it's a workbook. It's like, okay. Oh yeah, like you need the physical copy, man. It's it will teach you. It gives you insights and case studies or whatever. And then it's like here is your form. Fill it out. Ready. Mm-hmm. Go. Which is good. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. good. Give it a whirl. Good stuff, man. Yeah. So, Ben, thank you again for being with us. So, you've got this Kickstarter. How can people find you? How can people uh, hook up with you? The Kickstarter, if you look up Lander 2 on Kickstarter, you can find it. Uh, you can find my company at nafs.com. That's K N A F S.com. And uh, I run on the internet as Ben Banters because it's. It's a fun way to remember my name. So, yeah, that's where it is. And and the previous company started something called uh, Knife Banter. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it worked. It was fun. Yep. Ben, thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you, David. I, I always appreciate the opportunity to talk shop, man. Yeah, man. All right, guys. Before we head out of here, go ahead and pay it forward. Give this podcast a five star rating and please comment please 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 if you have not already done so and again another way you can pay it forward is it does cost time and everything to get these great guests and pay for the podcast app we're on and all that sort of kind of stuff just go check out ultimatesurvivaltips.com go check out nafs.com encourage ben to come on back on the show here and uh, if you go on ultimatesurvivaltips.com you can find show notes You can find links to our YouTube channel. You can find some other cool fixed blade knives. Ben, you coming out with a fixed blade blade knife anytime soon? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I'm working working on one. Should be out August or September. Oh, okay. Yeah. Going to Columbia to test it out, maybe? Uh Huh? Yeah. I'm going going to Joe Flowers down to Columbia to to test out my pocket, my, my new fixed blade. So it should be wild. Nice, nice. Well, good. Guys, we appreciate you listening or watching the show today. We're going to head on out of here. Until next time, keep it simple, stay positive, and be sharp.